with you, me in your Bible tonight to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. This is the final time that I'll be looking into this psalm uh, this year. This has been our psalm of memory. And I want to address the final three verses of this psalm. It is something I did back in January as I preached through this psalm on just a couple of evenings and kind of give us a familiarity uh, with what is in this psalm. I took a different approach and uh, showed the background of what I thought was the final three verses. But I want to take a little bit of a different approach tonight and, and kind of give us a little bit more understanding to what David is saying. Uh, as you're memorizing this psalm, as you're reading this psalm, it's almost like it takes an abrupt turn at the end. And it goes from being uh, very helpful and uh, very something you can really connect with in your life. And then all of a sudden, almost like it takes a dark turn. In fact, I've entitled my challenge tonight. I didn't give out a study sheet tonight as I normally would. But I've entitled my message tonight, The Destruction of the Enemy. And uh, when Randy asked me, what's your title for tonight? He goes, oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, that's definitely what David is addressing at the very end here. And a lot of it's informative tonight, but I think there are several ways we can apply this and even be challenged by it tonight and implement it into our lives. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer. I want us to read verse number one. I'm going to give a simple understanding. Uh, some of you are new to the church since we went through this psalm. Some of you have not been part of our Sunday evening memorization of this psalm. And so give you a little bit of understanding as we work through it. And then definitely try to broaden that out a little bit more as we get to the very end. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we sang some really challenging songs to you tonight. Uh, look ever to Jesus and he will carry us through. And uh, so grateful that we're able to do that. Ask uh, what we were encouraged to ask for certain things in our Christian life in that song as well. And just really have appreciated the hymns tonight and how they have ministered to our spirit or could minister to our spirit. And I pray that we will take them and just use them in our lives. Uh, Father, your word has been a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Uh, Father, you show us where we are and where we ought to be. Uh, you've given us psalms that I think have been extremely helpful for us in knowing some of that uh, interpersonal relationship that the psalmists like David, like Asaph, like the sons of Korah and others have had uh, with you and how they express themselves to you. I think that's really helpful for us to learn from. And I just pray that we'll take another opportunity to learn from this psalm tonight as we have made it a, an endeavor to uh, put it to memory throughout this year. Uh, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would encourage whenever you study a psalm, if you have the time and you have the resources available to you, that you would try to find the background to that psalm, what was going on uh, in the life of David or in the life of Moses. Moses wrote one of the psalms, Psalm 90. Uh, Sons of Korah, Asaph, what was going on in their lives so that you can kind of have a little better understanding of what they're meaning. Uh, for instance, very often if we... Uh, understand the context in which we somebody says something, we understand a little bit better what they mean. If we're not sure what context they were speaking in, sometimes we're kind of reading into it. Sometimes we might be a little bit more subjective to what they're saying. 
And so knowing the background of this psalm is really helpful uh, from the vast study that I've done over the years on this psalm being one of my favorite psalms. Uh, David is actually fleeing from, for his life, believed to be fleeing this time from Absalom, uh, his son. Who is, David hasn't done anything wrong. Again, whenever David is fleeing from his life, he hasn't done anything wrong. It is just men who are trying to either take his position from him or take him away so that they get more glory and more credit in their lives, such as Saul did when he was king. And so David is right now fleeing into the wilderness of Judah. He's fleeing from his son Absalom, who has a band of men who are trying to take his life. And so as David is writing, keeping that in mind can really be impactful to what he is saying. I mean, to me, it, it takes what he is saying to a higher level. Wow, he's saying that while his life is being sought after, while they're trying to kill him. Uh, that really it becomes more meaningful. It's not like he's sitting in his den uh, with all kind of people serving him right now and just in a lap of luxury, and he says this, he's actually being chased after and his life being sought after. Would you read together with me out loud uh, verse number one? O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Again, as he is going through the wilderness, his focus is not on the fact that he's being sought after. His focus is not on the fact that he has an enemy. While he's in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, what he's hungering and thirsting for is a deeper, more meaningful relationship with the Lord. Uh, early will I seek thee, as the idea at the beginning, will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh even longeth for thee. Uh, so again, he is not really factoring in the fact that he's uh, in the midst of a desert as much as he is in need of the Lord. So what is he seeking after? Let's look at verse number two. Let's read it again together. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So he wants to see the Lord's power. He wants to see the Lord's glory, just like he would if he were back in the sanctuary. Now think of what it would have been like back in the sanctuary. It's a time of worship. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time where they actually often gathered together, or really in the shape of like a square, if you would know much about the uh, the, the fact that they would gather together sometimes in a sanctuary. Uh, they, they would often gather in a square, but of course, then he's got the sanctuary of the Lord. And when he would meet with the Lord in that, that temple sanctuary, he says, I, I want to see your power and your glory out here in this wilderness, just like I've seen it and just like I've been familiar with it in the sanctuary. Verse number three has been very impactful. One of my favorite verses out of that. And so let's read it together. Because thy loving kindness is better, my lips shall praise thee. You know, very often we weigh things out and how things are going according to, our, uh, to, according to what's going on in our lives. But here David is saying, because thy loving kindness is better than life. You know, how can you praise the Lord when somebody's trying to kill you? Uh, how, can, how can you praise the Lord when your own son is leading a revolt against you? He's got a band of men. And in fact, he has turned many people back in uh, the city of David against David himself. 
How, how can you be praising the Lord then? Well, you can when, when you recognize God's loving kindness is better than anything I go through in life. So it's a comparative idea. He says, yeah, things aren't going really well when I, when I kind of lay it out before you. I've got a son who's leading a revolt against me, leading people against me, trying to kill me. But in comparison, God's loving kindness is greater than all this. Because of that, I can continue to praise. And so that might be a really good verse for all of us to uh, try to apply in our lives. <coughs> sometimes when we kind of get in the doldrums, sometimes when we get negative, uh, because of the negative things going on, stop and think about, wait a second, though, in comparison, if I were to put it onto a scale, the scale would weigh fairly heavy of everything that I'm going through, but then when I, when I load on the other side of the scale God's loving kindness, it far outweighs the negative. And so as a Christian, we ought to always be able to praise the Lord because His loving kindness is better than everything we're going through in our lives. And so that verse has been, especially this year, has been really good for me. I've seen it kind of in a different light. I've dwelled upon this verse very often. Uh, maybe sometimes I'm thinking about some negative things going on in my life, and then all of a sudden I throw to the other side of the scales how good God has been, and it always outweighs the negative things going on in life. And so maybe that's what you need to do from time to time. Uh, a little late maybe for Thanksgiving, but uh, never late in our lives, right? Uh, my mother-in-law the other day, shared a thought from Matthew Henry. Uh, it, it said, now what, I have this already for next year's message, but it says, Thanksgiving is good, but thanks living is better. And I thought, well, that's a really good statement. Thanksgiving is good, but thanks living is better. And what an insightful thought by Matthew Henry that he had written many, many years ago. And so just think of that again. Uh, thy loving kindness is better than life. Therefore, this idea, because of that, uh, my lips shall praise thee. Let's look at verse number four. Let's read it together. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. And again, this idea of lifting our hands up in praise unto the Lord because of his loving kindness. Verse number five, let's read together. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lip. Sure doesn't sound like a guy running for his life, does it? And again, that's why I think knowing the context brings this into new light. It sounds like a guy that's really enjoying a new promotion somewhere in the kingdom. Uh, sounds like a guy they just built onto his, uh, uh, his castle there in the kingdom, or they just extended the city of David, but that's not the truth at all. Uh, he's fleeing for his life, and he says, My soul shall be satisfied. Marrow and fatness was the best of the living, the best of the eating. Uh, and uh, so it's the idea there that I am satisfied uh, as with marrow and fatness physically. My soul's satisfied uh, with the Lord, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Let's go right into verse number 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Again, I talked about in Sunday school, different topic, different uh, passage of Scripture and all, that we ought to uh, kind of prepare our hearts 
uh, getting up early in the morning, prepare our hearts to walk with the Lord. And then when we lay down at night, we ought to prepare our hearts. And David was one man to do that as well. When I remember thee upon thy bed, my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. David was one uh, who, as he went to bed, tried to be thinking and dwelling and meditating upon the Lord. Maybe when you lay down at night, you're filled with fear. Uh, maybe when you're laid down at night, you're filled with anxiety. Uh, maybe there's stressful things that go through your heart and mind as you're laying down at night. Maybe there's angry thoughts that you're dealing with. One way to counteract that is when you lay down at night, meditate upon the Lord. And again, his goodness, his mercy towards you. And so he says, I want to remember the Lord uh, when I lay on that bed. And I want to meditate on him in the night watches. Uh, verse number seven, read together. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Again, Lord, you've been so good to me. I'm going to continue to dwell under the shadow of thy wings is the idea of protection. There's a number of examples of that. Psalm 57, I recently spoke on, uh, talks about that. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. Uh, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I, will, I have fixed my heart. I will sing and give praise. Uh, we talked about that just prior to Thanksgiving. Even when things aren't well, going well, we can have things to praise the Lord for. And David said that in Psalm 57. Again, that idea of protection, while the Lord is protecting me, you've been my help. <clears throat> Therefore, in that, in that shelter that I'm in, that shadow of thy wings, I'm going to make my uh, soul to rejoice. Verse number eight, my soul followeth hard after thee, Thy right hand upholdeth me. Up to this point, this psalm is what a blessing. Uh, worthy of our, our quotation, worthy of our memorization, worthy of our meditation. Uh, this can be really helpful, help, <coughs> excuse me, helpful in our Christian lives. Uh, this is something that can, we can dwell on and bring encouragement. But all of a sudden in verse 9, it, it make, makes like a left-hand turn. Uh, all of a sudden, it heads to a different subject. Uh, all of a sudden, it's not as positive. All of a sudden, it, it dwells on the, the enemy, something that really David hasn't been fixed on at all. He's been fixed on the Lord. And one comment that I've kind of made to myself and jotted in my own Bible for my own reference, while his soul was following hard after the Lord, there was someone following hard after his soul. That was an enemy. In fact, look at that. Let, let me just read verses 8 and 9 and look, look to see that. He says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me, but those that seek my soul. So while my soul, my, my person is following hard after the Lord, there's someone following hard after me. And so he goes on to say, uh, they shall go go into the lower parts of the earth. So all of a sudden, there's an abrupt change. Well, you begin to be, evaluate this, and it's actually been a little hard then to memorize the last three verses of this psalm. Everything was going along really well, and we get to these, and there's kind of an ominous overtone uh, to it. And, and, I, and I really want to speak to that tonight because he is going to address the destruction of the enemy I want to give us information on what is, what is he exactly saying, 
But I think even before I do that, I just want to back up a second and help you to understand there, there was a common knowledge and understanding amongst these godly men that we don't have to focus on the enemy. The Lord will take care of them. In fact, you may, it might seem to you like David is gloating in this. Well, let me remind you, his own men accused him of loving the enemy and hating them because he was so soft on the enemies that were around him. David was not at all a malicious man. God made him a man of war, and there were times that David had to try to extend the borders of Israel. But David was actually, in personality, not that kind of a man. David actually wanted to build the temple of the Lord, and the Lord wouldn't allow him. He said, no, allow that to wait until your son Solomon, and I'll allow him to build the temple. David was not a vicious man. David was not a violent man. In fact, often when he had enemies, what do you find him doing? He's running. Why is he running? Because he doesn't want to kill him. He, he didn't want to kill Saul. Uh, one of my professors and actually one of my teachers in the academy in my senior year uh, had written in his book on the life of David that 16 times Saul tried to kill David. And David never tried to kill him back. In fact, he had the opportunity, but he did not want to touch the Lord's anointed. He didn't want to put his hand upon the Lord's anointed. And so you might come in and begin to read this and say, ah, David's gloating over this, or David's joyful, or David has prayed for this. As you read the scriptures, you may have heard of an imprecatory prayer. And an imprecatory prayer is praying against someone. I may just mention a number of years ago, but when I was in Bible college, I remember the chancellor of our Bible college stood up and uh, one day taught on in chapel an imprecatory prayer. Uh, by the end of chapel, he stood up. Oh, well, he remained standing, I guess I should say, but he remained standing and actually called out one of the congressmen uh, of South Carolina at the time, I believe it was, called out the congressman of South Carolina and how he was in opposing Christianity and some of the biblical truths, and so he prayed an imprecatory prayer from the, the pulpit uh, of the Bible, Bible University, and uh, he prayed an imprecatory prayer and asked the Lord to remove that man from office. By the next day, the man was out of office. There was also a lot of news media in our chapel uh, the following day because word got out that the, the chancellor of our university had prayed against this man, and uh, so all of a sudden, all kind of news media came. Well, I want you to understand, that's not the situation going on here. Uh, he is not praying. He's not gloating in this fact. He is just stating the simple fact. And I think this is one of the reasons, I think this could be helpful for us. Sometimes if we're not careful, we get caught up in who our enemies are. Now, when I say enemies, our enemies are nothing compared, I, I believe, to David's. Uh, I, I don't believe any of you, your lives are threatened. I don't think any of you have somebody chasing after you and they want your position at work, so they're trying to kill you in order to get it. Now, they may treat you as some enemies are described a little bit more. We'll see that in Psalm 64 in just a minute. But the reality of it is our enemies aren't like David's. And what we can do is if we realize, you know what, the Lord one day will take care of those who just have never decided to turn to him. The Lord will take care of them. 
Keep your eyes, keep your mind, keep your thoughts on the Lord. And so I believe David, part of his key to victory and part of his key to be able to remain in that positive spirit in this very difficult trial was because he just trusted the Lord. He'll take care of my enemy. We're not going to turn against them. We're not going to try to kill them. The Lord will take care of them. And the reality of it is this. We don't gloat in this. We're not excited about this. But the reality of it is, anyone in office or anyone in this world who is seeking the destruction of a nation or seeking the destruction of a people or even the destruction of Christianity, God will take care of it. We can't become consumed with that. Because sometimes we become very consumed with those things and the reality of it is, some of that we've just got to allow the Lord to take care of it. He is in control. He is on the throne. And so let's look at this abrupt turn now in this psalm. And again, I believe David just simply states this in the end so that the people would know that there is something about putting biblical truth. And he knew this would be a psalm. It's a psalm that he is submitting to the musicians of Israel, one of them being Asaph. And so he's submitting this psalm. And in part of it, he is going to to, uh, include, excuse me, he's going to include What will ultimately happen to those people that are trying to destroy him? Let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11. I'll just read it for you. Just kind of watch as it unfolds before me. So it says, but those that seek my soul. Okay, let me talk to you about them for a minute. To those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. David is firmly, thoroughly convinced that God will take care of the enemy. I want you to notice it's not, this is not somebody who just... Uh, doesn't like David, so they're trying to make some bad things happen to him in a day. No, those that seek my soul to destroy it. David's enemies were often not merely seeking to see him removed from office. They were seeking to see his life removed. He says, they shall, it shall, they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Now, the question might be, is he speaking of the grave or is he speaking actually of hell and of judgment? I'm going to be a little bit more prone to believe he's actually speaking of the more extreme, the idea of health, because of the statement made in verse number 10. So let's look at verse number 10. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. During the life of David, one of the things that uh, one of the animals that was commonly known for that area was that of a jackal. And a jackal would be something like around here of, of some type of an animal that's going to feast like maybe a coyote. You might think of a coyote. A coyote is very often going to feast on something, uh, the carcass of something that is remaining. Uh, we might, if we try to picture our foxes of where we live, it's, it's really not quite as true of a picture. 
as it would be here uh, stated, but what they would have is they would have animals, and in fact what happened when there was a conquest going on, they didn't go around and gather up the bodies and bury them. They realized that the jackals, or what we will call foxes here in this passage of Scripture, would naturally go and, and feast on those bodies which were fallen, and that was God's way of kind of cleaning up the earth and especially after some type of war conquest. It's not a beautiful picture. It's not something you want to dwell on. But he says this is what's going to happen to them. They're going to fall by the sword, and their bodies are going to be a portion for the foxes. So it's not talking about them being buried. So I really believe he's saying there is going to be a judgment for them. There's a judgment coming. And so they're going to fall by the sword. They're going to be a portion for the foxes, but their soul is going to go into lower parts of the earth. And what he is telling the people is, know this, that the Lord will take care of those that are seeking the destruction of God's people. And God would repeatedly do that throughout history. He goes on then kind of as a positive ending. So if you didn't quite understand where those two verses are fitting in, those two verses are fitting in. David is just stating the facts of what is going to happen to the enemy. I'm not, David isn't focused on them, but the Lord will definitely take care of them. But the king shall rejoice in God. And again, he's, he's keeping his head up, keeping his thoughts positive. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. Again, but he reminds the people, but the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. Turn with me to a couple other Psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 1 for a moment. Again, I, I, this is mostly informative. I want us to understand the scriptures. I want us to understand the psalm that we are memorizing or have memorized. And Psalm 1, very familiar psalm. Uh, again, a psalm that I had memorized uh, back in the days of Bible college and uh, preached on it. It was the first sermon. We all had to preach on Psalm 1 uh, in Bible college in the preacher boys class. So the first three verses are in a positive light, but then it again it turns the ungodly, verse 4, are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's going to be a judgment for them. They're not going to be standing in the latter days with the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Again, it was a common thought, a common understanding that God is ultimately going to take care of the unjust. Turn with me to Psalm 73, please. This is Asaph. Asaph's really struggling spiritually. And part of which he, he says, you know what, the Lord has been to, good to Israel, but not to me. And he says, my feet had well nigh slipped. And one of the reasons I was really struggling is I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he got his eyes fixed on what the wicked were doing. David was fighting not to do that. Asaph allowed himself to do that, and because of that, he spiraled downward for a while. In fact, he says in this psalm, if I would speak out loud what I'm thinking in my heart, I'd offend a generation. If people knew what I was thinking, boy, they'd be offended. 
And so with that in mind, finally, he says, I was really struggling with my thoughts and what the wicked were getting away with. And uh, the word fret does not mean to worry. The word fret there means to become heated or angry over, to become to a boiling point. He said, I was coming to a boiling point. I, they had more than heart could wish, is a statement made in this psalm. And so he was becoming envious of the wicked. He said he had cleansed his hands in, uh, in vain. It was no use, I cleansed my hand. God didn't give me anything for it, is the idea here. Asaph was really struggling. Until, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, kind of like David was talking about, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How were they brought into destruction? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. And, and I won't go on, but he says, you know, all of a sudden I realize God's going to ultimately take care of them. And again, I don't, I don't believe at all he was glorying in that. In fact, he ends glorying in the Lord. But he, he came to the realization, wait a second, they seem to be getting away with everything. They seem to be doing really well, but their end is destruction. How badly does that bother you? David realized, let me, let me change the order of my message. Turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 18. I want to go back to Psalm again one more time in the end, but so what happens to what happens to Absalom? Who wants to give me a brief synopsis of what happens to Absalom? Where's our great Bible scholars out here? Diane? Okay, okay. So ultimately, he's hanging in a tree. As his, as his hair got caught in a tree, she was described, and it was interesting. We, they did a little bit of research in showing us the trees, type of trees that they have in Israel when we were over in Israel, and it'd be very easy, easy to see how someone's hair would have, could have easily gotten caught up in that. So he gets caught up in a tree, and he's executed in that tree. So this is David's enemy. How does David respond to that? Well, let's look at verse number 33. And the king was much moved, and I'm kind of jumping over the execution of Absalom, but he is now told of the death of Absalom, his son. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, Absalom, my son, my son. I've heard this preached a number of different ways. I've heard people very critical of David uh, saying how he was so soft on Absalom that he made Absalom into the rebel that he was. I can't condemn, condemn or pronounce innocence or guilt there 
uh, did sound like through the readings I have done. And in fact, uh, he had let Absalom go for a number of years over one situation, that of uh, Amnon and Tamar. Uh, it does seem like David was an absentee father. And a lot of times he was more taking care of the kingdom than he was his own family. And maybe there is part to blame on Absalom's rebellion to David's own fathering of the, of the man. But I've heard some really condemn him uh, for his response. But if you have written a number of psalms about what God is going to do one day to the wicked, and, and you have written that he shall fall by the sword, he shall be a portion for foxes. He shall go into the lower parts of the earth, the verse before. Would it not hit you that this is now the end of your son? Would not impact you. Uh, maybe some people, maybe you yourself, or maybe someone you know have really been challenged the last number of years of their life by one of their own children. And when they're their children pass. There's not a glorying in the fact that that child is gone. Especially if your realization and your understanding is this. Their ultimate end is the judgment of God. And so I look at this a little differently. I look at David as now realizing that which I have written has become true of my own son. And maybe there is some guilt in this. Maybe David realizes he was absent too much of Absalom's life. And maybe David realized some things he had done wrong as a father. But can't we all admit there's things we've done wrong as a father? But I really do believe that David has probably come to the realization that which I have written about the destruction of the wicked is now happening with my own son. It's happening in my own family. And Absalom is not going to be the last of his children to seek after his life so that he could be the next on the throne. And so I, I realize in this moment, sometimes the wicked pass before us far too silently. And sometimes we're hardly even grieved. We're hardly even driven to tears, realizing this is the death of the wicked who will spend eternity in judgment by God. So it kind of really impacted me as David is writing this psalm to realize the words that he has written will end up being the final end of his own son that was chasing him during the time this psalm was written. Just some information to keep in mind. And again, just a challenge. I think sometimes we far too silently allow the, the ungodly to pass before us without a whimper. And when we really realize, man, they're going to an ultimate judgment forever and ever, how that would change, should change the impact that we would have on how we live our lives. Finally, let's, let's turn to Psalm 64. I need to end. Uh, the Psalms are individual. I've mentioned this before. I don't actually like when I hear a preacher say, turn to 
Psalm chapter 64, because it's not just another chapter. Uh, chapters flow, and chapters pick up where the last one left off. Psalms were all individually written. So I don't believe any of your Bibles here say chapter 64. I would believe every one of your Bible. I've never seen a Bible that would do that in the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 64. So it was written individually. It was written about the same time of Psalm 63. And very often as they would group the Psalms together, there are five books of Psalms. You can see that in your Bible later on if you'd look very closely. Uh, go there to Psalm 41 and 42. You're going to see it go into the second book of Psalms and so forth. I think Psalm 90 is the beginning of the third book of Psalms, if I remember correctly. That's the Psalm of Moses. And when they, when they put these Psalms together, they did try to arrange them some. And there, there are some, like Psalm uh, 22, 23, and 24. That, that's a trilogy uh, that blend and work beautifully together. Some Psalms stand alone, like Psalm 90, because it's the only one written by Moses. But I believe Psalm 63 and 64 were put together purposely because it really comes flowing out of that idea of the wicked and what they're like. They will be judged. And it goes into verse, uh, Psalm 64 and into a little bit more detail of what the wicked are like. And so I just want to read this psalm to you, and then we're going to end with a word of prayer. It's going to kind of be a negative ending to it. Uh, but just a realization, uh, the, the wicked are known by their ways. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Again, this is very fitting. Who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot them, their, out their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away and all men shall fear. And, and the idea here in that, that verse is the idea they'll end up turning against themselves and upon one another when the Lord begins to judge them and, uh, and shall declare the work of God. They shall wisely consider of his doing the righteous shall be glad in the earth and shall trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory and the one the one application i made from psalm 64 i did this maybe seven years ago in my study is i wanted to determine was i am i treating people like an enemy so i began to evaluate what it is spoken of of the wicked and when they're enemies how they wet their tongue like a sword, and when not, someone isn't doing anything wrong, we're still trying to find some kind of fault in them. You ought to evaluate yourself sometimes. If you might think you're treating someone like an enemy, read through Psalm 64 and 
and see if you're committing any of the things that God says the wicked do. Uh, they, they try to catch them in a snare. They, they lay traps for them. They, they lie about them. They're consumed with what they're doing. But I want you to know, dear friend, in the end, we can trust the Lord. He will take care of his own. Sometimes we become consumed about what people are doing to us. Dear friend, allow the Lord to take care of them. Live a righteous life. Live for the Lord's honor and glory. Look for his power and his glory. Meditate on his goodness and worship the Lord because in the end, he takes care of his own. Let's pray. Your Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so glad we can confidently rely upon you. Father, it brings no joy to any one of us. It should not bring joy to any one of us uh, of a wicked person that falls. May we be broken like David was for his own son Absalom, recognizing this is one of the wicked that I had talked about. This is one of the ones that is going to go into the lower parts of the earth. And Father, may we be broken for those that are living in wickedness. May we strive to impact them by our lives. But Lord, may we also keep our focus upon you and worshiping you with joy and gladness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for helping us to understand it better. And I pray that with a better understanding of your word, we'll live our lives more righteously for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.